Let us welcome our esteemed friends. So I'll begin with a question to our panelists. Each panelist will respond to this question in about five to seven minutes. For each one of you, beginning with whichever one you would like to start, please put forth your perspective regarding the documentary and in addition, the ways that Dr. Howard Thurman was depicted in the documentary. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I want thank you very much. And uh, I am honored to be on this panel and to be here with you once again at uh, Princeton. I have watched this film uh, a number of times, and uh, I, I never get, I never tire of watching it. It's a beautiful film. And uh, I love it for a number of reasons. In the first place, it, it presents for the first time in historical perspective uh, the different sides or dimensions of Thurman. And it does not box him in by holding him to any one role uh, or characteristic. Uh, any role like a theologian, philosopher, a minister, a mystic, civil rights activist, doesn't uh, box him into any kind of uh, role like that, uh, simply because he did not like being hemmed in like that. And his character would, would simply leap out of any particular category in which uh, he was placed anyway. Like Barbara Taylor said, for instance, uh, on the film, he would never identify himself as a theologian. So the film does not uh, attempt anything like such as that. The approach then uh, of letting various historical figures or celebrities, uh, professional scholars, leaders, and so forth, like Jesse Jackson, Vernon Jordan, Oprah Winfrey, uh, John Lewis, Luther Smith, Walter Fluker, Otis Moss, Junior Otis Moss III, uh, Gregory Ellison, uh, letting them give their particular impressions or characterizations of Thurman enabled the, uh, Thurman en enabled the diversity, by doing that, enabled the diversity of the man uh, to manifest itself because he was many things to many people. And I was delighted to see the younger voices uh, speak like Reverend Otis Moss III and uh, Gregory, Dr. Gregory Ellison, uh, because Thurman was always, and had a, he always had a strong appeal among young minds, especially college students. And I speak from experience because in the university courses I taught on religion for many years, comparative mysticism, religious quest, and contemporary films, and so forth, involving various historical figures like Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Jr., Thomas Merton, Malcolm X, and many others, Thurman always had the greatest appeal. And so many students would come to me wanting to read more of Thurman and write a paper on him. So in the film, we find Otis Morse, uh, Jr., referring to Thurman as a spiritual activist, which reminded me of uh, Thomas Merton being called a contemplative critic, which in itself sounds like a contradiction in terms. 
Lorita B. Coleman said he was a practicing contemplative uh, spirit. He uh, was practicing a, a contemplative spirituality, which also uh, is putting uh, two seemingly uh, opposites, practice and contemplative, together in him, which is interesting. John Lewis called him the saint of the movement. Jesse Jackson says he provided the philosophical framework for our struggle. I'm sure Thurman would kind of be surprised by such descriptions, but whereas the film avoids uh, fencing Thurman in, it does bring out uh, the major characteristics and con contributions of Thurman. Uh, his contributions to uh, religion, to education, to society, to the church, and so forth. This includes his mystical universalist perspective and adequately places uh, a placing of Jesus within the religious experience. His contribution to ways of development of an individual spiritual perspective that sustains one in any rough or harsh social setting, such as segregation and discrimination. His meeting with Gandhi and experiences in the Indian society with nonviolence and encounter with Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and so forth, and the broad broadening of his religious perspectives to the inclusive and universalist character. Uh, his co-founding of the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples in San Francisco, where the universalist and religious unity perspective was tested and proven. And finally, his creative preaching and teaching at Howard University and Boston University, influencing tens of thousands of uh, students, including Martin Luther King, Jr. Alton Pollard's words in the finale reson resonated much with me and my own experiences and conception of Thurman. Pollard asserted, as you may recall, that for Thurman, if you do not have that sense of internal and interior commitment, all change is always doomed to failure. And to conclude, I would say that this is where my view and experience of Thurman comes in. Thurman primarily focused in his spirituality on the individual religious experience, the individual quest for God within her or himself, the true nature of the self in relation to other beings and of all of life. In this sense, he was both psychological, philosophical, as well as spiritual. His book titled The Search for Common Ground, which all, of all his 20-some-odd books he published was his favorite, The Search for Common Ground, it reveal, reveals best that quest in his own life. This was his dream, common ground. As in comparison with Martin Luther King Jr., 
His dream was the beloved community for King Jr. The world house is a way, uh, another way that King put it, whereby the society would become unified in love and supportiveness and all would be healthy and whole. The kingdom of God would come, would become a reality in King's uh, beloved community or the world house. And it was a hope that a Christian nation like ours could realize this dream. Yet in contrast, Thurman, Thurman's position was that the individual must seek that inner truth and reality that would enable one to find unity and oneness with all other persons or beings. And from there, the dream of common ground would or could become a reality. The only way society could become the beloved community, which King expresses, was that each individual would have to realize that love and unity within. We must recall that the words of Jesus himself were, the kingdom of God is within you. If it is not found within, it cannot become a reality without. Thus, the individual quest he, he, he uh, focuses on. Another way Thurman expressed this was finding a way to unite the universal and the particular. It was a, that was a perpetual quest of his. I will stop there and uh, I will <laughs> entertain any questions you may have from there. I won't, uh, I won't hold you long. You know, that's, that's, that's that old pejorative remark about uh, Elizabeth Taylor, what she said to her last husband. <laughs> I'd like to thank uh, Reverend Moss and especially uh, uh, Miss Shushama Austin Connors for uh, having us here. This means so much. And to my delight, I'm sharing the panel with uh, my good sister and one of the pioneers of studies in Howard Thurman. Uh, I don't know whether you know that. There were at least three uh, dissertations in the late 70s, beginning in 1978 with Irving Moxley, who was at Louisville. And then there was Luther Smith. And then there was Mozella Mitchell. And I think that women get a very short shrift with Thurman and are not always acknowledged. Katie Cannon in Womanist Ethics, her two sources are Thurman and King. This is before women were able to plumb their own traditions in black life and practice. So I'm deeply honored, uh, Dr. Mitchell, to be on this panel with you and to share. I'm also glad to see my beloved. Uh, I don't know whether how, how many of you all I'm seeing her again, but I don't know how many of you all know who Sharon Watson Fluker is, but she's in the room. Amen. <laughs> and of course, my longtime friend and mentor 
and his beloved uh, Peter and Adrian Paris. Good to see y'all. You know I'm Baptist, so I have to get recognized. This, this is the way we do black church. You know that, right? And of course, to Dr. Carrie Day, who is uh, becoming more and more uh, one of the people I look to for guidance when I'm trying to think uh, constructively about theological ethics. I really appreciate your presence. So let me, let me respond real quickly. I want to tell you how the sausages, the sausage got made. I was at a uh, meeting at Boston University, and Martin Doublemeyer, the uh, filmmaker, was there talking to faculty. And he had done an incredible uh, documentary on Reinhold Niebuhr. And uh, he was really looking for some other figures. And uh, it was at that meeting, uh, one of my colleagues said, uh, you should at least think about Howard Thurman. I wasn't trying to, uh, I, I wasn't trying to do any more work than I had to do right quick. But uh, that was the moment. And uh, Martin followed me to the Howard Thurman Papers Project. And that was it. And I made several recommendations for scholars he needed to talk with. Most you see on the screen. Unfortunately, Mozilla was one of those, uh, for whatever reason, did not show up on the screen. But it was a wonderful moment. Uh, and it's, the rest is history. This uh, documentary, I think, is really helping people in a lot of ways. Here are some of my perspectives from an insider and also a person who I'm also spectator. One is, I think the film gives us a piece of how Thurman was perceived as an architect of the modern resistance movement. It gives us a perception of how Thurman is perceived by many. And I'm so glad with Dr. Mitchell that uh, so many young leaders are coming on board and emerging. There's a burgeoning interest, you should know, in Howard Thurman. Uh, I've already counted just this year alone about seven dissertations that are coming through. There are two biographies that are in press on Thurman. Those are only the ones that I can count. And uh, so need to pay attention. There's a lot moving around Thurman. And a lot of it has youthful energy with it because I think uh, the, the younger energy kind of gets this. Uh, in some ways that maybe some of us who are practiced in resisting change uh, find it sometimes difficult. The other observation uh, for me has been, um, perhaps most interestingly, uh, the, well, I've said that, but let me say this again. Uh, Thurman was, a, was kind of like an incipient feminist. Uh, as early as 1920. Uh, his, his early work as a dissertation was on the moral, what, sexual morality uh, at uh, <laughs> Rochester Theological Seminary. He, he writes a paper also where he denies the virgin birth as it came up. Yes, he's just knocking everything down. And he, he has this kind of incipient critique of patriarchy. This is an early Thurman. Uh, by the time Thurman is in San Francisco in the late uh, 60s and 70s especially, uh, there's more and more work being done through the Howard Thurman Educational Trust around what we would call queerness, 
They simply had a ministry and outreach to what they call homosexuals. I just want you to know who this person was and how, in many ways, our good friend Daryl Fashing, uh, now deceased, called him a postmodernist prophet uh, for the 21st century. So that's an observation. What I don't want you to miss there in the documentary uh, is what editors do. Editors always edit. <laughs> and so there's a lot that is edited uh, that is part of this conversation. One example, the conversation with King at the Harlem Hospital in 1958. Thurman says one morning he awakens, he goes to the mirror, and he says uh, a face, Martin's face comes before him. And he says to Sue Bailey Thurman that uh, wherever Martin is, I need to find him. Now, we don't know whether he had heard about the stabbing or not, but we do know that Thurman says that every now and then in this same passage, he says, there's something that comes from, to me from time to time. It's like an errand from the unconscious. I see it, and uh, I'm moved by it. And he also goes into some detail about being born with a veil on his face. Mm -hmm. and how his ears, this is in the same passage. He packs stuff in on you, right? And uh, that his ears were clipped as a child because uh, the folks uh, in his community felt that if you were born with a veil on your face, you could see things. And it's no accident Grandma Nancy, whom you see there, is really from originally from South Carolina, Geechee culture, as we call it, and a lot goes on in Thurman that he's far too sophisticated to talk about. <laughs> but he knows this. So he makes his trip down to uh, the Harlem Hospital. And on his way, I interviewed James Earl Massey, who is also deceased. Uh, James Earl Massey said Thurman didn't quite know where King was. He never quite knew where he was either, you know. <laughs> Just, and um, he met his, the publisher of Stride Toward Freedom on the train, kind of a moment of synchronicity. And the publisher says, oh, I've just left Martin. <laughs> and Thurman makes his way there. That's kind of the way he moved in, through the world. And so you get this conversation and a series of correspondence between uh, the two, which really tells you a lot about Thurman's ministry. And this is the point I'm trying to make his ministry to social activists. Mm -hmm. He says to King, literally, you need to deepen your channels because this movement of which you're a part, you don't even understand. And unless you deepen your channels, the organism will overwhelm you. And all of King's critical biographers uh, note that King has this extended convalescence. And for me, it's kind of serendipitous, though I think there's some other historical variables that determine uh, King's trip to India. But this Thurman, what is remarkable, who was there in 1935-36 uh, and meets with Gandhi, he's speaking with King, and the next year, in February, King is on his way to India. And uh, we all know who study King that, you know, King 
he was a very pragmatic, nonviolent person before India. <laughs> uh, but he claims to be a complete devotee to nonviolence when he returned. So that's just a little note. Those were conversations that were in uh, the film but were edited because, you know, you have to edit when you're doing that. So let's thank our panelists. This was awesome. My soul is happy.